And he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. I am not playing mind games, I am talking about facts. If I speak, I am in, in big trouble. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Hello everyone and welcome to the Talking Absolute Ball podcast. My name is Cameron and I am joined once again by Alex Miller. How are we, Alex? Thrilled. Can't you hear it in my voice? Yeah. Another week, more football to be talked about. Doesn't ever stop, does it? <laughs> once again, there's a lack of McNee. Sadly, he's been taken hostage by 007. He is uh, trying to be the next James Bond and is currently auditioning for it. So good luck to him. Right. Shall we kickstart? I'm too excited about this. I've been <laughs> waiting for about 12 years for a moment like this. Let's talk about the North London derby. Happened on Sunday, quite possibly the greatest day of all of our lives. Arsenal coming through victorious, 3-1. Arteta's men doing the bizwiz in the half time, uh, before half time. Tell me, Alex, are you now worried about this upcoming Arsenal side? Yeah, why not? I don't want to crush your hopes and dreams. Um, can't, instead of making grand claims about Arsenal's season, can't we just focus on the fact that it was just a really good performance from start to finish? Just a nice, solid demolition job. If I were you, I wouldn't try reading into it from here because that's where disappointment lies. I think you ought to live in the moment and celebrate a great win. All right, Mr. Boring Rationale. <laughs> I, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this attitude from you. I want okay, to hear okay. what, what, superlatives. What I, I think Arsenal... Bakary Sanya. Bakary Sanya. Is he still Saka. Um, Bukayo Saka is better than Mo Salah. That's what I want to hear. Well, I, I would accept that joke any other time, but at the present moment, when in terms he, of yeah, form, he is just unbelievable at the moment. But no, going back to Arsenal, would it make you happy if for the rest of the season... We uh, just admitted that Arsenal are just going to piss the league from here on out. Yes. Okay. Let, for this week, I'll give it to you. Thank you. Um, through gritted teeth, how do you stop force? Like I can't say it. I can't <laughs> say it. Well, let's dive into the actual performance. It was we were three 0 up uh, before the half-time whistle. Totally dominant. Uh, some of the best football I've seen, and obviously it was all thanks to how poor Spurs were, because we can't have anything to for us. Uh, and understandably, I don't know if you've seen that picture of Tottenham's midfield. I think it was uh, Jamie Carragher pointed out on uh, Monday Night Football where you've got Hoiberg at like a left-back position, Deli Alley further up than bloody Kane, and then um, Ndombele somewhere on the left wing. It was comical, actually. It's something that you'd expect to see us do. It was, uh, no, it, it was a shame because... When I was watching the game, I was just enjoying how good we were. But in hindsight, Spurs were horrific. Have you ever seen a performance like that from any side this season, let alone a good one, supposedly? Uh, no, it, it was really bad, wasn't it? It was disjointed. There was no um, solidity in the midfield or in defence. Um, for all that we joke about Arsenal... I think it, and as much as we exaggerate about Arsenal, you can't exaggerate about Spurs anymore. I think panic buttons have to be hit. The season is just turning into one colossal train wreck, which I'm I'm sure you're thrilled to watch unfold before your eyes, especially after the 
very, very brief promise from Spurs. It almost feels wrong to call it brief promise because they beat City. But since mm. then and the second win, they've been average and it's gotten worse since. Well, I wanted to dive into this uh, very, very briefly. Uh, the Spurs victory against City, as much as it hurt me at the time, uh, there and it was actually a very good performance, but it was quite a Mourinho, but even a lesser Mourinho kind of performance. It didn't strike me as, oh my goodness, this team is incredible. Well, this um, is what I think they've they got from... In. I think this is what they've got from the Nuno hire. They've just yeah. got Mourinho, but without the pedigree. Okay, maybe without the baggage as well, but it's yeah. not a revolutionary choice. I know no. our fellow but absent co-host has some very strong opinions on Nuno. Um, mm. He must be feeling Being very... Proven vind- right. Yeah, he must be feeling very vindicated right now yeah. in his uh, predictions. He would be awful. It's early, and I'm not saying that Nuno should be sacked, but I think if you take that City win out of the equation and give it any other result, City... I-, I think the noises would be a lot louder than they already are, yeah. and they're already pretty loud. Well... Again, the Wolves' performance, a one-one-nil. I didn't see it, but from all uh, all accounts, it was how did Wolves not score? How did Wolves not get something yeah. from the game? Uh, and then and it was another one-nil victory. The team escapes me who it was against, but it wasn't exactly a groundbreaking performance. So I wasn't. Petr- it annoyed me, especially obviously that grueling stat that the last international break we were twentieth in the league, quite rightly deserved, and they were top of the league. But it was. Three one nil wins, um, and I love the stat that they're the first team in history to after the first three games or whatever be first in the league and then overtaken and then after the next in league table position by the twentieth team. That being us, even though it's had embarrassing that that puts the icing on the cake, doesn't it? Um, I I think what you said kind of hints at the problem is that they've not been playing exceptionally well. I can think of maybe two periods of play. Of, of Spurs that I've seen that I found impressive this season. One was defending against Man City, which, while it was a very Mourinho-esque performance, was well executed. I'm not going to argue that. Mm. And I thought the first half of their loss against Chelsea, they were quite impressive. But the moment Chelsea adjusted um, yeah. and filled the gaps in midfield that Spurs had been exploiting, they were absolutely nowhere, which sort of lends yourself to the opinion that they're a very one-dimensional team at the moment. And if another team reacts, maybe makes a change before a game or even makes a change at half-time, Spurs look a bit lost. Yeah. Um, it was very telling, and I'm going to get on to a bit more in a moment, but uh, Nuno, uh, in his press conference after the game on Sunday, he said that there was nothing to take from the Crystal Palace defeat. Uh, that was a shocker, that 3-0 away defeat. Uh, but there was lots to take away from the Chelsea defeat. However, this game, the 3-0 loss, or 3-1, sorry, loss against us, once again, there was nothing to take from it. No positives. And I just think that's not what you want to hear. I know like when you get dropped 3-1, you it's not a good moment, but you just want to hear, well, Brian Hill came on and made a difference. or he... uh, Yes and no. I, I see what you're getting at there. You want to be reassured that the manager is. If I'm a fan. And... Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know if I entirely agree. I get where you're coming from. A lot of the times when things aren't going very well, you'd want to hear that your manager has seen something that they can at least formulate a plan out of to get mm. out of the situation. So, so to that point, I agree. 
But I, look, you've just been absolutely demolished by your fiercest rivals in a really humiliating game. I think it's worse for Nuno to come out and say, well, you know, we must remember that this player actually put yeah. in a decent shift. Okay. So I, I don't hold that line against him too much, but yeah. I, I, I am concerned about a lack of a plan, which interestingly is something that me and Nick critiqued Arteta for a couple of weeks ago. I no. haven't given up those, by the way. Sorry. But, um, it well, has... he had a plan on shoe, Sunday. Shoe is on the other foot at the moment, isn't it? And, um, yeah, I, I don't know where either of these teams are at the end of the season. I think they're so hard to judge, but it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if they're both two or three points away from each other come the end. So it could be quite an important match, at least for local pride. Oh, it always is. Um, let me just revert a little bit back to Nuno, just because uh, I don't know if you had the chance, there was an athletic piece uh, today on kind of behind-the-scenes Spurs at the moment, which, of course, I found good reading. Um, but there was some uh, neutral points that come out of it, not just my biasness. Uh, obviously, this was actually came out on Sunday, a very embarrassing stat there, the least... Uh, they had the least distance covered in the league this season, and that is a. But why that's so shocking for them is that under Poch, for instance, just a few years ago, that was almost the exact opposite yeah, of I what mean, they tried ran, to do. I mean, he ran them into the ground to the extent that it almost engineered his own downfall doing it. it yeah, exactly. Uh, but a bit more un, like uh, under wraps has been how Nuno's been on the training pitch and his kind of antics, which are, are starting to alienate some players, but not just players, but members of the backroom staff. So, for instance, he plans his training schedule every week and puts it up for everyone to see, but then he tweaks timings. And the issue with this is that he doesn't give enough time uh, for players to, say, fulfil their obligations like commercial duties. You see, that's interesting. Just to jump in on that, and and I wonder if this is why successful managers whether Nuno was or wasn't, we can leave that up to another debate. But this is why I wonder if why successful managers at teams below the traditional big six always seem to struggle getting a promotion to it and almost seem to have different skill sets. Maybe he's not used to having players that juggle such um, obligations off the pitch and on the pitch. And maybe that's uh, not helping him. The Where it didn't matter so much if a Wolves substitute had a meeting he had to push around to refit a training session into probably yeah. does matter at Spurs. That's a really, and I hate to admit it, interesting point you make there. Um, but also that he has, there's a feeling, and this came from a obviously an unnamed source in the dressing room, that he is uncommunicative to the point of being distant. And the issue really arose again on his uh, in his post-match conference where he said that the players didn't implement his plan or they weren't right for his plan. Uh, and someone within that trust room has come out and said they didn't know what that plan was to implement. Jesus so, Christ, it's been like two months. Well, this was the thing. <laughs> wow. He was already going in, like, what? I was about to say sixth choice. Fifth, as, fifth you know, or that sixth kind of, choice. But, but it's it's probably eighth, ninth? Ridiculous. Well, yeah. Um, And so he was already on the back foot. And I just think this coming out now just a couple months into his reign it's i'm i'm not someone saying for him to be sacked because i just think that's ridiculous after six games but 
it doesn't look good, does it? It doesn't look good. And then the big elephant in the room, the big Harold Kane elephant in the room is what is going on there because beautiful for me on Sunday, but he looked a shadow of his former self and has really all season. What what are you, What's your opinion on the Kane situation? I think it's a perfect storm of being in a club he doesn't want to play for under a manager he doesn't want to play for. Mm. Um, you'd think maybe the way the summer went, okay, this is a guy who supposedly loves Spurs. Maybe he'll pick himself up and still put a good shift in. With Nuno in charge, perhaps it's a sort of a double hit of just not being motivated. If these behind-the-scenes stories about Nuno being distant and unengaging are true, that is, you know, that's the caveat I have to add there. I just yeah. think he's disinterested. Um, maybe tired as well. It feels like a bit of a cop-out, but he's played a lot of football, had a very average Euros where he looked tired at points, and if he was tired in the Euros, there's no reason why he wouldn't be now. So... Mm. Maybe I'm being harsh, putting it down to motivation and discipline. Maybe the guy just is knackered. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I think it's more than just his fitness levels. I think, and then if you part of his issue with fitness is that he came back a week late, and let's be honest, was somewhat uh, reluctant to come back at all. And it wasn't now, like he was training particularly hard in that exactly. week either. So. I, I think that's a huge issue they've got to to address um, and not because I want them to do particularly well. I would be taking that money as soon as I can and reinvesting that wisely. Not doing yeah. a bail, but sure, actually reinvesting sure. it wisely. I don't really know how I feel about this. Usually in, in these sort of protracted transfer hostage situations, I tend to feel quite sort of sympathetic to the player. But right. in this one, if Tottenham fans want to start burning shirts I'm not sure I blame them too much if this continues mm. because I think it's a whole different level of responsibility when you're at least nominally the club captain yeah. and and this is yes he has his reasons and I think being made to work somewhere where you don't want to is never fun even if you are getting all the money in the world to do it yeah. at the same time I'd be quite annoyed if I was a Tottenham fan seeing the person who's been the club talisman slump like this no. well I think we've bashed Spurs enough as much as I could go on forever um, let's just quickly mention the positives of Arsenal because that's what I'm really here for um, yeah I want you to have this moment. Arteta yes thank you uh, and especially for a man I'm about to mention Granite Xhaka come back straight into the side I, I would imagine a good 60-70% of Arsenal fans, if you look on Twitter, were horrified at this decision. Including yourself. Including myself. And we were... How do I put this? It wasn't a man-of-the-match performance, but I felt it was a needed one. That kind of steel uh, in in the midfield that he provides next to party. I really like that, that duo there. Uh, obviously, now uh, it's just come out that he's going to be out for three months. So that's hmm. perfect. Uh, but still, we were talking about how well he played on Sunday. Um, I love the youth that we've gone with. But equally, I quite like this kind of... The duo in the centre of midfield with experience. Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka, flanked by the likes of Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka, Odegaard in front, you know, Ben White, Tomiyasu Gabriel. The, I like that. I like what we had going there and like I say he's gone but I, I was really impressed with him on Sunday because I think 
we were I was ready to see a Xhaka esque performance and what we got was actually a bit more of a responsible one from him. And certainly if you look at the second goal where he was pressed by Hoiberg, some say it was a foul, some some don't. But still, he rolled the challenge, a bit of a hospital pass from Ramsdale and got the move going and, and often it was his progressive passing which set us off. What is your opinion on the Swiss? I don't have anything much to add to that because I do completely agree it was a really good performance. I've actually been a bit of a Xhaka sympathiser in the past in that I think he's a decent player. I think in the mm. Euros he showed that as well. So I, I think from a neutral, when he when you see him in the starting lineup, you probably don't have the same, um, not the same reaction, but sort of you probably don't have the depth of feeling that an Arsenal fan does. When you yeah. see him in the lineup, because we've not had to deal with the as much pain as he has caused you, so I think there's a there's a decent player, and he put in a decent performance. He's not consistent enough to do that every time, so I, I don't think he's reliable. But no. I, I'm not I'm not too shocked by it, especially against a really poor Tottenham midfield. I have a question for you, Mister Miller, and that question is, from a non-biased Arsenal fan. Please give me your opinion on Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka. Okay, I, I think I rate Saka higher just because I've seen more of him, but I think both mm-hmm. are very talented players. It's quite... I, I, would, I wouldn't begrudge you a little bit of excitement seeing this young attacking core coming through. Thank you. Um, I, I still wish you weren't hiding Martinelli in the basement because I think there's a player there as well, but um, we can't yeah. always get what we want. So I I like both of them. I I'm not gonna jump on any bandwagons and say they're both gonna be superstars in the future, but I do think it's possible. Certainly with Saka, perhaps to a slightly yeah. bigger extent, that they these could be quite um, crucial players moving forward. Yeah, I'd I be think quite excited. Saka, barring a disaster, is very much on the trajectory to being a superstar if, if you believe sure. the values given by transfer markets he's already up at like 65 million um mm. he, that, that seems I, a little high but i can see but it. I, th- I think that's it's age not, and and yeah. potential because I, I think and it's not um it's not outrageous it's just a little high yes but i think when you look at how they do it like phil foden you know it's near 100 sure. and all this stuff so uh whereas de bruyne well he probably is but i mean they're like equal values when of course they're not um, on the pitch but point aside I just think Bakaya Saka literally could be dragging this club for the next 10 years I can or, certainly but- see it I think maybe perhaps I'm more down on Smith Rowe because how many more attack minded Arsenal midfielders that show a, that show just a tremendous amount of promise while mm. young how many more of them are going to come through and not develop properly because it's been quite an impressive resume so far there for Arsenal Yes, but he's he's a little bit different to the rest because he's more of a runner than a creator, if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. And it does separate him from the, the chapters. Pretty, conf- yeah. Yeah, the pretty no, passing, little one-twos. He's more going to take the game to the opposition. And I think that's what endears him to the Arsenal fans a lot, is that he, he will get involved in the build-up, but he is more... You saw how he ran off Aubameyang to create Aubameyang's goal for that second one. Mm. Um, I think he gives that compared to obviously he lacks in say the Ozil departments on most of Ozil's strengths but compared to even Erdegaard let's say who I think was wasn't at his technical best but his work rate is 
extraordinary in every game, but amazing on on uh, on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, but Emil Smith Rowe gives the legs in behind that we really do lack from nearly everywhere uh, in this Arsenal squad. So he is exciting. Um, and last person I want to mention is my favourite Arsenal player, and that is Tommy Tommy Asu. What a hero! I love him. Um, no, he's actually been very good it's like an under the radar potential signing of the season if this keeps up oh it's it is wonderful and i think he not okay this sounds wrong if i say he gets away with he is not going to do much going forward no but to be honest with you and our right backs for the last two or three years haven't done much going forward Hmm. and they've been built as like more attacking right backs but their quality is and i don't want to mention names you can guess who is dubbed as this creative attacking forward when he's not to kind of mask his defensive deficiencies. Whereas now we know this guy's not going to bomb up every single time the right wing and deliver these pinpoint crosses fine, but he's going to do a really bloody good job at the back. The way he pocketed Son, I know Son scored, but do you know how many times I've seen Son just have the whole roam of that left-hand side against us Arsenal sides every single time? Whereas this time it was that one opportunity he got. But Tommy Asu, love him. And he just seems like one of those honest players, if that makes sense. And uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that uh, Spurs decided to not go for him. Hmm. Even better. Um, let's move on as much as I'd like to keep on talking about uh, last Sunday. To your good self, not you personally, as much as I'd love to talk about you. Um, but a player who's caught my eye just this past week, Curtis Jones. He's had a very good week. I know you didn't get all three points at the weekend, but he scored a, an absolute belter. And then, even though helped enormously by... I, I don't know who was Liverpool's man of the match uh, in the Champions League, him or the Porto goalkeeper. Uh, <laughs> but again, I hear he had a very good match. Uh, yeah, he Talk he me did. through Curtis Jones' week. Sure, it has been a good one. You're right to say we. You're right to point out that we didn't get all three points against Brentford. That's less on him, in so much as I think it's was really the worst Fabinho performance I've ever seen, which is oh, heartbreaking because right. he's one of my favourite players. But he was just nowhere against Brentford, and um, I, I don't know how much fault of that lies with Curtis Jones. The midfield was getting overran, so was the defence. So maybe he should shoulder some of the responsibility there but um, you're right, scored a belter kept the team going uh, the Tuesday evening match against Porto on the other hand was far more impressive mm. he was very assertive, he got in more of a defensive performance than he did against um, against Brentford while at the same time keeping up his responsibilities going forward as well uh, he was great on the ball. He was a great press. He passed well. And as we've seen, he, he can shoot well as well. Uh, I think it's been a really good week. I have been a bit lukewarm on Curtis Jones because it seemed like when he got appearances last season, he'd be amazing or nowhere at all. So the yeah. thing now is for him to find some consistency with that. But he's um, certainly impressed this week. I don't know how much of that is because um, playing at Porto is a second home to us now feel yes. like I need to point out 14 goals in our last three trips there. It, so it's, uh, yeah. it's crazy. It's becoming but, a bit um, silly. It's crazy. So maybe that was part of it. But yeah, an impressive week. Let's see if he gets any uh, minutes against City. So 
is he getting minutes at the moment? Is is there an injury that I am not so aware of? Or Tiago's injured. Uh, right. Surprise there. Um, yeah. and, very very um, quickly. Sorry. Obviously, obviously, we know Harvey Elliott's injured and Kaita's yes. in and out. So yeah, there's there's ample time to uh, to catch if you're Curtis Jones at the moment. Yeah. Sorry. Very quickly, I just want to ask. We've probably mentioned it a bit before, but what is your opinion on Tiago's time at Liverpool so far? Um, you just seemed a bit down in your... Yeah, no, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it, it is disappointing, but it's certainly not what we wanted either. I think I mentioned it last time to you that I, I think part of that is I'm not sure if we utilise Tiago in the way that he should be. But mm. the emphasis since he arrived seems to have been turning him to, into a clock midfielder when I thought the point was to offer something else. So there, there's that. And also there's the injury record, which has been atrocious. It, it's something we knew might be the case because it wasn't great to buy in either. But it, it, it has been bad. It's not been his sort of his fault bad. I think he's been very unlucky. Like some of them, you can see where it's come from. Like how he just started, you know, he signs for Liverpool, instantly gets COVID, comes back, gets clattered on the shin by an Everton player, out for a few more weeks. Yeah. So it's not all sort of injury, like it's not all chronic injury problems on his. You can see where a lot of these have come from. But at the moment, you are desperate if you're a Liverpool fan to see him get five or six games in a row because we've not even had that from him yet. No. So it's... Yeah, it's not disappointing because he hasn't had the chance to disappoint and he has played well when he's featured. Yeah. But it's not what we wanted so far. It's very much how us Arsenal fans are feeling about Partey. We feel a bit cheated. He was our main signing of last summer, just like Thiago was for you guys. And yeah, we feel a bit cheated. We haven't seen him. We haven't had the best of him. had a prolonged, like you say, 10 run of games. Because when he has played, he's been far beyond our best player in midfield or if not the pitch. He's looked different class the rest he's looked champions league class so it's it's been a, a real shame and and of course in every case when it seems to be arsenal he had something like five days off injured for his whole career at athletic madrid and he's always hmm. bloody injured for us um but yeah no i share your pain there does does look classy when he plays tiago so that it's a valid comparison yeah. does look classy when he plays haven't seen enough of him well it all started so beautifully that i remember that chelsea game last year yeah. where he came on for a half and had some ridiculous stat for yeah yeah passes. Completed. It's interesting. I didn't think sort of a year and a few months later that I'd be thinking the the best signing of the summer before this one was Jota. So yeah, there you are. Um, well, just thankful someone coming to replace uh Firmino. Um, who scored? Who scored twice? Uh, yes, but I, I have seen those goals, <laughs> Mister Miller, and I could have scored them, Mister Goalkeeper. Literally running out. What was what was that goalkeeper doing? Running out. That's hilarious, I, I, isn't it? Yeah. Do you, do you know what I love about that goal? Firmino hit it just gently enough yeah, that enough. it still went over the line, but it was going so dive. slow that the keeper had to look to try. I know. <laughs> it was. He, it he was almost got beautiful. There, but it, yeah, it's hilarious. But I don't know if you if you watched him back running. It just doesn't look right. Him running back for the ball. He's running at a weird. Oh, it's, it's yeah. Uh, I don't know what was going on there. Um. Huge game this weekend for you guys against mm. Man City. Talk me through mm. how you're feeling. Yeah, I'd be a lot happier if they hadn't just been so thoroughly pissed off by PSG in the week. Because Man City, when they lose, don't tend to lose the game after that. 
Mm. Um, I, I have no reason not to be confident-ish because I think Liverpool play well and they usually scale up well to when they play big matches. Um, but Is it at home? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Which, you know, perhaps back to making a difference again. But um, yeah. I don't know. I, I It's a weird... I, I'm... I'm not confident, but I'm not not confident either. It's just one of those games that I would think that uh, a good performance and a point at this point of the week I would take. Yeah. I think the title, if there is going to be a title race, is going to be more decided in who can be more consistent across the whole season than who can win these matchups anyway. Yeah. So I, I won't be beside myself if Liverpool lose. Well, I will for a few hours, but yeah. I won't dwell on it for a, a week or so, if you know what I mean. It's it's one of those games where it's amazing if you win it. If we lose, you can accept that over the course of the season. Very well said, and I I can't wait to see how level-headed you're feeling after. Yeah, it's not going to happen. If they absolutely demolish Liverpool on Sunday, yeah. there's going to be just spit flying from my mouth, no coherent yeah. opinion. So, Raheem Sterling hat trick. Yeah, you'll be you'll be fine, won't do, you? Does it doesn't? Yeah, he scores in front of the the away end at the ninety yeah. fifth minute or something. Doesn't add a bio and runs all the way. I was to about the to say, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that 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 haunts me still. That, yeah. oh, uh, and, that will change my quite sanguine opinion at the moment. So we'll yeah. see. And such mention for Nasri, who's just retired this week. Uh, oh, really? Sad that how he is in my mind is when you mentioned Adebayor, Nasri is synonymous with the likes of Adebayor in my mind, but was for a time a very, very nice player to watch. Yeah. Um, my prediction, little... before you move on, if you did want yeah. a score prediction about the, yeah. uh, the match, please give. I genuinely think, for all the hype, it's going to be 1-1. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that 1-1. Some... Uh, by the way, there won't be two open play goals. Somebody will get one of those from a penalty. Both teams are really good at creating penalties. Yeah. So, uh, I, probably City will probably score a magnificent open play goal and we will level with a very softly won Salah penalty. And that's why I you. That's why you should all tune in to next Sunday's game. Yeah, we really um, sell it. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the last football topic of the week. And that is the mess which has come up a few times uh, in different ways. The mess that is Barcelona currently. Once again, have suffered a humiliating defeat in the Champions League last night, losing 3-0 uh, to Benfica. And I don't know if just everything gets heightened by when Ronald Koeman comes out and just says ridiculous remarks like, well, we're not going to be winning the Champions League this year. Like, what are you doing? We must be realistic. Yeah, are you are you still managing Everton? What is wrong with you, Ronald? But the, but the thing is, if you look how he sets up that Barcelona team, who, correct me if I'm wrong, but who I believe have done free at the back a fair few times this season, yeah. you might think he does still think he's managing Everton because the approach hasn't changed. Yeah, it, and I, I find it incredulous, to be honest. Uh, I know, I would be foaming at the mouth if I was a Barcelona fan. I know it's not the easiest club to manage. I know they're financially in quite a bit of turmoil and obviously Messi leaving is huge. You know, yeah. absolutely season-changingly huge. But at the same time... He looks so inept that you can't. It can't be one of those ones where it's like, okay, it's a horrible club. There are way bigger problems than the manager. Give him time. Yeah. 
because he he's so at sea. He's playing football that's totally antithetical to the way Barcelona set up and what they pride themselves on. I think it's a match made in hell, and I don't think they get any better while he's still around. But we're talking about Ronald Koeman here. He's a man who's played for Barcelona, Barcelona legend. He played under Cruyff, was he not? Yep. Uh, So he is literally, he's ingrained in that DNA of how to play the Barcelona way. I have, I I just, honestly, I know I've said it before, I find it incredulous how he's gone about it. Um, And he seems like one of these managers, sorry, who will make a point with his team selection. Like, I just really, those those managers piss me off on that. Like, Mourinho did it a few times. Like, oh, I don't, didn't get the right back I want, so I'll play Eric Dyer at right back, for instance. Do you oh, know what I mean? know like, what you mean. Yeah, just I like, don't like that. And then they'll come out, well, you know, uh, didn't get all the targets wanted. Well, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, yes, of course, Messi leaving was a blow and a shock, but still, the before, and we could laugh at the position they're in financially and also some of the business they've done. Agreed, it has been hor- it has been a horrific. But I read a, a piece where Laporta sat down with Coman and basically, you know, suggested or jogged his memory of the way that Barcelona play. Because there aren't many clubs in the world where I'd say you they have a defined way of playing. You know how it is. Don't bloody alter it. But I'd say the number one, it's synonymous with Barcelona, is the way they play. And he tried to remind me of this, and it's just it. It's gone to hell. But, very quickly, because I don't want to say that they're not in a bad place. They are. But I was surprised to see that they're actually sixth in the La Liga with a game in hand. And if they win that, they go fourth. And they are yet to lose a game in the league. So, with is he actually doing horrendously? Yes. As we've now... Okay, yes, fine. Fair enough. No, I'm not... Um, I, I, I know what you're getting at there, but it doesn't hold up. If, if yeah the the thing is yes he's still doing horrendously for the reason being that sixth at Barcelona is catastrophic okay yeah they move fourth but this yeah. is a club that has to be first and second every season they may still be maybe I'm overthinking this here but only six games in of course only six games in of course but They've just lost, they've got battered by Bayern Munich at home. Yeah. They've been battered by Benfica away. That was only Europe, granted. But have the La Liga performances been any better? Well, no. They, of course, they, you've had the two draw. I think they just won their last one three nil. They had the one Cadiz, one and, didn't nil, they? and nil nil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, from what I can gather, it's just the way that they're playing, which is, it's. It's it's well, almost sad. Well, in fact, just just looking at their results here, just to satisfy my own curiosity, the only game that it looks like they've had any attacking product was the first one when they beat Sociedad four two. Yeah. Since then, they've not scored over. Oh no, I, I'm wrong. Sorry, they did they beat Levante three yeah, nil. So uh, slightly wrong there. But yeah, I, I think he is doing atrociously. I I don't think he can hide behind the it's early days and we're only a... Yeah. Oh, I, I just look... to actually, before you... Sorry, just one more thing. Just yeah, to reframe course. your question when you're saying, you know, if they win the next game or if they win their game in hand, they'll go fourth. Mm. But also, they shouldn't be being talked about as they do this and they go fourth, which is fine because it's a Champions not. League spot. But you've got to understand I'm an Arsenal fan and this is the way we talk now. Oh, if well, we no. win this game, we could go eighth. 
And, and I think in the Premier League, there is more of a license to have that approach because of the depth okay, of competition. Yeah. That, by the way, now that I've said that, I need to immediately clarify, I'm not saying that outside of Madrid and Barcelona, La Liga is a farmer's league. I fucking despise those arguments because it's just not true. But I think it is fair to say the top four competition is stronger in England. Absolutely. And I agree with the, the farmer's league point you make. However, I actually feel this year, and maybe it's a reflection of just Messi leaving the league, I think the La Liga stock has really decreased. Even look at Madrid right now. Their best players are, re- are properly aging players, Modric, Cruz, Benzema. Mm. You look at, well, we've been speaking about Barcelona. Even Atletico Madrid, solid side. Luis Suarez, Griezmann. It, it's not brewing with talent where I would actually say you've got, maybe this actually could be a really good topic for a, a Nava have a uh, podcast but you've got Bayern Munich who are far away that that to me is a joke that league almost uh, and then you've got obviously La Liga but I think for me it's Serie A like they I always used to think it was La Liga and the Premier League they were the two superior league competition but I think now it's Serie A I think they've overtaken La Liga that's my little point maybe we can go into more depth another time yeah La Liga's not been helped by its two emblematic clubs both running into crises at the exact same time has it no no not at all oh and and, uh quick point i know we haven't quite wrapped up the bus but the ruling on europa uh, european super league this week about the three sides not seeming to be taking much punishment shock and horror i don't know what's gone on behind there any any feelings towards the fact that barcelona madrid and juventus uh, seeming to just be getting like a slap on the wrist. Uh, look, obviously, as any football fan, it disappoints me. Um, I don't think either of us can be holier than thou about this, given our own club's involvement in it. Mm. But um, I, I expect what has happened here is that the clubs in question have threatened to challenge legally any punishments that are doled out. And I think UEFA, with their team, have realised that perhaps some of the punishments they wanted don't have a legal basis or perhaps there isn't much of a legal basis at the moment to stop something like a Super League forming, which in turn means they can't really punish clubs for trying it. To me, the only solution here is political action, not um, football governing body action. I mean European Union-wide legislation to prevent this sort of thing. And I think it would be legislation that would be popular in the United Kingdom as well. That could easily be tagged on to any European Union effort. So if the Super League is to be prevented, which absolutely should be, something structural needs to change and it's only going to be governments that do that. Otherwise, they will absolutely try this again. And I say this knowing for a fact that, that if there's even a sniff of another attempt at this, Liverpool will be straight in there because the owner absolutely adores the idea. Well, as you well know, so does ours. Um, and, and still not quite over that. Well, we um, leave the future of football in the capable hands of Boris Johnson. Oh, bloody hell. Um, so moving just on around, swiftly. Yeah, moving on, yeah. Uh, Barcelona, if the... There's so many issues, but let's just take the managerial one to finish on. If Coman leaves and... The, the man of every moment and 
Fabrizio Romano has come out mm. and said that now Barcelona are looking at replacements. Who, if you could hire one man for the Barcelona job, who would it be? I know I, I think, put you on the spot there. Yeah, thanks for that. There, there was absolutely, dear, dear reader, there was absolutely no discussion of this question coming up. No, I, I, um, I apologise. It's, it's just come to me. I think because you're not going to get a prime manager that's going to excel straight away, you need to go back to basics and just get somebody who's going to, at the very least, be a half-decent stopgap. The name's like... Xavi obviously come to mind when thinking stuff like that. I don't know if he's the right option for them, but I think that's the kind of player you look at. Not the, sorry, that's the kind of coach that you look at at the moment. Yeah, I, I obviously he is the boogie's favourites, and I'm sure he will be at some point. But I'll be surprised. He seems to be a very clever and very strategically minded uh, person, not just a manager. Where he, it's been written about quite extensively that he's waiting for the opportune moment to take over Barcelona and in the crisis that they're in it's probably not now yeah. uh, I think he knows seeing as he played there for so long how public and fan support goes a long way in securing your tenure at Barcelona and right now let's be honest he's not going to get results immediately no. um, the other obviously class manager who is out and needing a job is Antonio Conte as much as I'd no. love him at Arsenal I'd, he I'd, is not I'd, a Barcelona manager this is immediately, yeah. This is, Obvi- goes back to our discussion a, of the way they play. Obviously, he is a great manager, but that one will not work. No. Won't work with, not, uh, not just because of the on-the-pitch style there, but I just think because of how political a football club yeah. Barcelona is. I don't think Conte does well in those environments. No. But then you see some of the Instagram posts which are putting up all the potential manager targets and you see how dire and you see how Arteta is still in a job when you see the other potential candidates well, are and Andrea Pirlo and Frank Lampard yeah I mean so. Frank Lampard yeah, no, he was one I tr- <laughs> okay no I kind of want to see that but but this is kind of what I'm getting at in in that you're not going to succeed with the best manager you need somebody to stop the ship sinking in the meantime it's going to be a thankless task they just have to be a little bit more something than Komen is. There's absolutely no point in hiring a top-class manager right now until the back yeah. of that house is in order. So they, they all... need, if Xavi's not willing to take it, I don't know, find a, an academy coach that at least knows how Barcelona yeah. should play. It's gone well for them in the past, yeah. i.e. Pep. Uh, and so just to finish off, I'd say that as a talking absolute ball, always favourite, they should just hire Graham Potter. Um, should, oh, he'd be so good there. But he'd be in good the long anywhere. term, I, I love the man. Absolutely yeah. adore the man. He would honestly be my first choice over Conte. I know that sounds mental, but I just think Conte will give us something electric for a season or two and then it will blow up and we'll be back to where we are now. If so. if you do pull off the Graham Potter hire, I might feel violently sick for a few days. It'd be a very bad break for me. And that, if anything, will make it sweeter. That's, yeah, there you are. Well... Talking about heartbreak, I just wanted to finish the episode. Again, you don't know about this, but it should be okay. Uh, talking not about my sport, but your sport, F1. Oh, no. No, no, don't worry, don't worry. I just want you to talk me through the emotions of poor Lando Norris at the weekend. I can't believe you're making me live this. At the weekend, for those of you who may not watch Formula oh. 1 or me, Mr. Race, Mr. Miller, can you please yeah. tell me what happened? Um, 
Well, it's been a good show, everyone. Uh, we'll be back <laughs> next week with more talking. Absolutely no. Look, I, you, you've set me up here. Yeah, as you've mentioned, I'm a big Formula One fan. Part of that is since about 2008, I've happened to be quite a big McLaren fan as well. So their resurgence recently has made me feel all levels of joy when all of my other sporting teams, Liverpool aside, have been struggling. This weekend, McLaren and Lando Norris in particular were in a golden position to secure a win, a win that would have been Lando Norris's first in Formula One. The rain gods said no. The rain came down. Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton pitted for wet tyres, well, intermediate tyres, but the tyres you put on in the wet. Let's just Mm -hmm. simplify that right away. They made the change. Lando Norris thought he could do the final few laps on dry, slick tyres with no grooves in them at all. And the rain got worse. I was devastated. I was beside myself. Yes, and I, who is a casual fan, was also devastated and he he obviously looked uh mortified at the end my question to you as the expert who was at fault because both uh, he i mean and hamilton wanted to stay out but hamilton was given information yeah. from the team it's going to get worse no come in whereas if you believe lando his information was it's going to remain the same this drizzle which obviously yeah. it did not there's, you cannot absolve Lando of responsibility for this entirely, and I will come on to that at the moment. But let me focus on McLaren's failures first. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with an inexperienced driver who's got the bit between his teeth and has a first Grand Prix victory in his sight, and their whole strategy with Lando regarding this tyre switch was, "What do you want to do?" That's a very irresponsible approach because anybody would say, keep me out, I can win this. I don't know what their weather data was. Yes, Lando was saying they said the rain was going to stay the same. McLaren haven't denied that, but that might just be protecting their driver. They're all running off the same weather radars, so I do find it very odd that every other team on the grid had a very different picture to McLaren. That's, That's my cynicism toward that, is... And Ricardo came in. And Ricardo came in, and they're all looking at the same data. So I, I don't know what was said there. I do think there might be an element of McLaren protecting their man, as they should. Now on to Lando Norris. He is inexperienced in Formula One, but he is not inexperienced in racing. And even when it was just the drizzle, the cars that had already switched on to wetter tyres were going. Uh, I think it was about six to eight seconds faster a lap anyway, which shows how treacherous it was. Yeah. Hamilton pitting was the the license to pit if you're McLaren as well. If you're trying to conserve a win, you cover the car behind you. They would have Mm. known Hamilton was pitting. They had the opportunity to cover it off. Granted, it comes down to a pace battle after that, but... Lando's been phenomenal in the wet this season. I think he should have backed himself. I think he made a wrong choice. And I think McLaren put too much or didn't put enough weight on him when they should have said, you're coming in. They should have. Mercedes had different information, yes, but they also ordered Hamilton to pit. They did not order, McLaren did not order at any point Lando to pit. And it cost them not just the race win, because you don't know what happens if they do pit, but it cost them at least a podium position. Yeah. 
I was just very sad for the man. But I I think you could see that he wasn't coming in. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, it's not lost on me. You asked a very simple, whose fault was it question? And I went on for about five minutes. It's 60-40. I enjoyed it. it it's yeah. 60-40 Lando. He's the driver. He made the call. He made the no. wrong decision. 40% is McLaren putting it up to a vote in the first place, which was horrendous. But it, it did raise a really interesting question, I thought, like who holds the power? It was mm. a, almost a Kepa-esque moment, although they didn't ask him to come in as such. Well, well, the, the seven-time world champion said no, got ordered, and still came in. That's a very yeah. good team relationship, in my opinion. If Mercedes yeah, no, can absolutely. say that, and he does it. So um, yeah. hopefully McLaren will feel they can do the same in the future. And it really showed to me just quickly like i've always kind of said to you i've not really understood it as a sport like you know like i understand the brilliance of the drivers but you always say it's a team sport and so on but other than the few seconds of a pit stop i didn't really understand how they on a race day they really helped guide it but i i did see in that moment there yeah um how crucial it is the information that the drivers get so yes very interesting but very sad for lando again we always seem to end on a really high note I, uh, I'm not going to do this next week, Cam. No, no. <laughs> well, let's see what the result is at the weekend, shall we? Well, <laughs> I'm hoping Could Nick's very... available. <laughs> yes, <laughs> aren't we all? Aren't we all? But no, <laughs> thank you very much, Alex, for joining me this week. Uh, Privilege I, I've, I very much enjoyed it. It's been probably the first positive Arsenal one I've done in a, a long while, a properly positive one, and a highly negative Tottenham one. So that's always enjoyable doesn't but, get better than this folks it, well it probably do- won't get better for me for quite a while i imagine <laughs> anyway hope everyone out there listening has a, a wonderful rest of their week and we shall be back next week thank you very much alex speak to you then <laughs>